Hello everyone and welcome to The Mushroom Show and today we've got some of the very best tips from our last few shows to help you navigate the current economic turmoil. I'm Rob Smith and I'm joined by a whole bunch of different experts to talk about things like tax efficiency to make sure you're saving as much as you can, the rising risk of rent arrears and how you can protect yourself and finally the most common mistakes you're likely to be making right now that could be endangering your portfolio. And don't forget, you can follow Mashroom on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. And you can also join our private Facebook community where you can share your experiences, ask questions and get the support and answers you need from thousands of other landlords and, of course, the Mashroom team. But now... Let's get stuck into those top tips. Today's guest is Richard Cunningham, Paul Champlina from uh, Landlord Action. And Paul, a familiar face to start on with this episode, Emmy Stedman. Thanks for being with us once again, Emmy. Uh, Emmy's Mushrooms uh, Lettings Specialist. Chris Potts is with us once again. Chris, you're the, uh, the, the Buildings Insurance Specialist for Mushroom. Now, one of the first things to consider is the most tax-efficient way to hold your properties to ensure that you're making savings that are actually available to you. So, Richard, great to have you back. Nice to be back. For for joining us once again. So, in corporation, we're talking essentially about um, why it might be a good idea or not to actually make your landlording business a literal business, incorporate yes. it as a, as a limited company. So let's start off right from the beginning. What does corporation actually mean? So let's start with limited company. Uh, limited company is a separate legal entity. Um, limited liability, uh, the shareholders' liability is limited to the share capital that they actually put into the company. Um, it requires a director to, to run and to operate it. And um, uh, it, it's that protection that, that um, provides uh, comfort for right, a lot okay. of people. So, so there are benefits then. Yeah. The idea of having a limited company, there's some big upsides to that. If you if you set something up from the office of a limited company, yeah. so let's just briefly run through that, what the benefits of, of having your property in a limited company could be. Sure. Um, so potentially the first one is your t- lower tax rates. So mm-hmm. corporate rates are lower than personal income tax rates. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, um, you're looking at 19% for your corporate rates. They are actually going up to 25%, but the the first 50 grand will be uh, 19%. Thereafter, there's a kind of marginal relief up to 250,000, after which you're into 25%. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the big advantages is that you're only subject to income tax to the extent that profits are actually drawn from the business. Um, And this creates an advantage, particularly where you're highly geared. So you've got um, a big mortgage, uh, large capital repayments, so if you take an example, let's say you are, you're carrying on your uh, rental business as an individual, you make £10,000 worth of uh, taxable profits, you're going to be subject to £10,000 at your marginal rate of tax. Now you might be a higher rate taxpayer, 40%, so that's £4,000. But half of that £10,000 profit might actually be used to repay some of the capital on your mortgage. However, with a limited company, you've got a similar situation but you are taxed at corporate rates and you're only taxed on income tax rates to the extent that you're actually able to draw those profits out. So if there's only actually, you've used £5,000 to repay capital, you've only actually got £5,000 in your pocket. So with a limited company, you're just paying income tax on that £5,000 if you take it out. Let's just talk about some of the cons mm-hmm. of, yeah. of, um, of incorporating. And I suppose it's, 
you know, where you have an existing portfolio, mm -hmm. um, you might want to transfer that into a limited company. Um, there are potential um, adverse tax consequences of doing so. Right. So um, the transfer of your properties into the company is a, a taxable event for capital gains tax. Um, so for example, let's say you've got a million quid's worth of property, you transfer them in, mm -hmm. they cost you half a million quid, you've got a capital gain of, of half a million pounds at that point of transfer. Um, obviously you've not received any money for that transfer and you're going to have to pay potentially 28% on that half a million pounds and you're going to have to pay it within 28 days of the transfer. Right, okay. So is there a way around that? Is there a... Yes. So there are some reliefs, some tax reliefs that you can take advantage of when incorporating uh, for both capital gains tax and on the stamp duty side. So for capital gains tax, there's something, something called incorporation relief. But what incorporation relief uh, enables you to do is to effectively defer the gain uh, that, that would normally arise into the value of the shares that are being issued to you. So you're holding over that gain to a future event effectively, mm -hmm. which would normally be a sale of those shares. Um, the challenges you have, there are a number of hoops that you have to jump through to, to benefit from incorporation relief. And essentially you've got to be uh, carrying on at what the, what's termed a business. Um, and uh, the, the, the revenue can, are quite kind of tight in terms of um, ensuring you meet those requirements. And, and really, you've got to be uh, an active landlord, I think, really doing probably more than, spending more than 20 hours a week on, your, on managing your portfolio. Right. So if you're a landlord with three or four properties and you've got an agent managing them for you and it's very much passive income, you're unlikely to benefit from incorporation relief. Um, often when uh, people set up a limited company, it's often uh, a husband and wife or partners, uh, and they'll just issue two shares, two normal shares, you have a share, your partner has a share. Mm -hmm. um, and income is distributed equally. Um, but it's often not the case that both partners pay the same rates of income tax. So your partner might be a higher rate taxpayer, you might be a basic rate taxpayer. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, actually you want your, if you're the basic rate taxpayer, you really want, uh, you, you want to be taking more of the income because you're gonna pay basic rate. If you're splitting it equally, you're, you're paying basic rate, great, but your partner's paying higher rate. So what, the great thing about shares in limited companies is you can, within what's called the Articles of Association, you can vary the rights of those shares. So for example, you know, talk, with the example that we're talking about here, what you could do is you could say, right, okay, I'm gonna issue an A share to my partner and I'm gonna have a B share. And I'm gonna pay dividends just on the B shares. And I'm not gonna pay any uh, dividends to my partner's A shares. And there, then in that instance, any of the income that you're taking out is just taxed on you at the basic rate until that point you hit higher rate. And so as a final general thought then, if, you, if you're a landlord and you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not, not quite sure whether it's the right route to go down. What do you recommend? What should people do to actually work out whether they fall on the pro, this is a good idea, con, this is gonna cost you? Take advice, it's very simple. Take advice, everyone's situation's different. Um, there's no kind of one size fits all. Um, a good advisor will be able to uh, tell you whether it's worthwhile and also identify the opportunities, You know some of the opportunities that we've been talking about today. Be sure to check out our full episode on limited companies for more information. Now, rent arrears, they're on the rise. In fact, they're higher at the moment than they actually were during the pandemic. So what can you do to protect yourself and lessen their impact? 
let's talk about, I, mean, I guess it's two broad areas. One, how to spot when you've got an issue building up in the first place, and then two, what to do about it when it becomes an issue. So let's start with the first one. I mean, I guess that the obvious sign of somebody falling into rent arrears is when they don't pay you, isn't it? But you should be able to see that coming before it starts happening. Yeah, I mean, look, as landlords, we get something called a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. You get it, you get, I mean, so firstly, let's rewind it first off. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the referencing, right? So how do you reference the tenant? Do you use a referencing provider? Obviously, like, like Mushroom uses. Do we have rent guarantee insurance in place with legal expenses as a safety net? Mm -hmm. Okay, what's the affordability? We know now that rents are going through the roof. Tenants are paying the best part of 40% of their wages towards rent. So there is affordability issues. So, you've, so landlords are going to be much more stringent now when it comes mm -hmm. to referencing, but they do have a bigger pool of tenants. So the first thing is, is obviously communications. Okay, your rent day is the first of the month. You get month's rent, month's deposit, so the first month's paid. Mm -hmm. Second month, obviously, it, the rent should be doing paid. If they don't pay on the second month, that is a big red rag to a bull, right? Because that's a real worry. And that's normally where we have, we've had scenarios where we've had people that would just blatantly not try and pay and stay in there as long as possible. So I'd be really worried if the second month didn't come in, mm -hmm. really worried, and I'd be jumping on it. Uh, so there's communications. Most tenants are are truthful, they have a conversation, but unfortunately you do have tenants that bury their head in the sand. They mm -hmm. won't want to take your call, mm -hmm. yeah? So mm -hmm. they ignore it. Mm -hmm. So then of course, what's really important is a bit of mediation. So if we look what happened in COVID, there was tenants that were saying they were on furlough, weren't on furlough. Landlords did a great job of trying to work tenants and, 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 and so forth. So it's about making sure, what do you know about the tenant, mm -hmm. yeah? Are they working? Are they not working? Are they in universal credit? What is a great help? and this is where landlords have got to be savvy and streetwise, is social media. Mm -hmm. So you look on LinkedIn, you look at Instagram, you look at Facebook, make sure that they are genuinely, you think you can build a picture that, you know, maybe they're struggling or whatever, and that they're not in the Caribbean spending your rent, you know, and telling pictures of how beautiful they are and on a beach and so forth and taking the, the, the pee. So I think you've got to just look at it, manage the situation, uh, and take a view, mm -hmm. but really, if the first, if the you know, if the event doesn't come in, the conversations, you know, everything is their WhatsApps. You know, are they being genuine? You know, a good tenant doesn't turn into a bad tenant overnight, Rob. Right. Mm -hmm. So really, what you should be doing is working with them, understanding the circumstances. If they're genuine and transparent, then it will work its way out. Mm -hmm. But then it comes to the point where sometimes tenants can't catch up. They feel embarrassed, they feel ashamed, they can't speak to the landlord, so they start ignoring things. That, that's when they're burying their head in the sand. That happens a lot. We get that a lot. And then, of course, landlords just got to treat this as, well, I, I need my property back, because at the end of the day, a landlord's not a bank. Some landlords will be much more sympathetic or much kinder to their tenants than others. Correct. But then they find themselves getting months and months in arrears because they want to think the best of their tenant, don't they? Correct, and I've seen that a lot. I've seen that a lot over the years. Um, you know, I could give you numerous case studies of, you know, cases where we've got, you know, we've got, we're instructing this two years rent arrears. How the hell have you got it to two years? You get tenants that can manipulate landlords and they can play on their on their good nature. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. This is a business, you know, where's the cutoff point? You've got to realise that a lot of tenants don't have any assets. You might be renting a fully furnished property to them. They might have a car which is on finance. They don't have any assets. So by the time you're instructing someone like us at Landlord Action, 
to serve a notice issuing court proceedings, their six, six months rent arrears before you even started, you're going, to owe, you're going to be owed another seven, eight months on top of the six months. And to try and be able to collect the money is very, very, very difficult. What point should you start thinking, well, hang on a minute, we've, we've got a problem here. We need to, to actually start thinking about a process. Well, I think when there's two months rent arrears, don't forget every tenancy agreement is rent in advance. So mm -hmm. if the rent's the first of the month, the second of the next month, it's a month and a day, it's two months rent arrears. That's when you take action. So you've got a whole month to try and mediate, do a deal, see if they're genuine. You know, if a tenant, literally, you know, if there's a will, there is a way. Mm -hmm. If you want to stay in that, pro and obviously bear in mind, landlord, tenants need to stay in properties because there's no other properties. Once they're evicted, once mm -hmm. they go, all the rents have gone up. There's a, we have a rental stock crisis. So they should be doing everything they can where they can pay you 500 pound this month towards the rent is. That's showing goodwill. Mm -hmm. Then that obviously is important. But if it's got to the point, I can't pay anything, I've got this, genuinely can't pay, but, and I'll show you the reason why, because I've got this, I've got that, whatever, then that's fair enough. But at the end of the day, this is a business. And when it comes to a month and a day, that's two months rent arrears, and under the current grounds, under section eight, which is ground eight, two months rent arrears are a mandatory ground. So when you're serving the section eight notice, which at the moment, we are pre-renters reform, it's a 14 day notice. Mm. So you serve the notice under grounds eight, 10 and 11 are persistently late in rent arrears. You serve the notice one day and one month, uh, one a month and a day is two months rent arrears. You serve the notice, the tenant's got 14 days to pay up, leave or come to some sort of arrangement with you. And that shows, and we call that step one at Landlord Action, mm -hmm. we, we, that, that shows that you're, you're starting the legal process. Now, 50, 60% of the time, the tenant will pay up, do up, do some sort of deal. Something will happen, mm -hmm. and that's the jolt that's needed to show the tenant that you do want your property back, and you know you can't keep it going. If the tenant doesn't pay up or leave, or you get radio silence, then of course the next stage is the landlord has to issue a possession claim at court and get a hearing date. How you protect yourself from all of this in the first place? So you can go down the route of rent guarantee insurance, for instance. Is that worthwhile? I think now, I think after COVID, that the, the rent guarantee policies became more expensive, but you should still be taking them out. It's a no-brainer. So what happens is you pass a reference with a referencing provider. They will offer a rent guarantee, like obviously Mashroom offer that as well. And the rent guarantee will cover you. So if the tenant does not pay the rent, your rent is paid every single month. Great, great peace of mind. And your legal expenses to carry out eviction i.e. from you know law firms like us will be covered as well so it is really a peace of mind it's a safety blanket for landlords and legal expenses that's a separate thing or is that part of the it, it's part of the policy legal expenses means that it covers the cost to go to court and carry out eviction and to try and collect the money as well the debt as, uh, as well uh, but the landlord's covered so you know it's like what you know why do, I, I think now you've come to the point of the cost of living crisis and where we're at in 2023 in the world of renting you know, it's not mandatory. Car insurance is mandatory, yeah. But actually, can why you would you take not to have it? Can you afford not to have it? Because if you have a car crash, you're covered. If your tenant doesn't pay the rent, you're covered. Now, while you can do all you can to try and prevent it happening to you, protection is key. So let's learn a little bit more about rent guarantee insurance. Let's have a chat with another familiar face. Uh, Emmy Seven, thanks ever so much for coming back Thank in you. again, Emmy. Emmy's um, a, a landlord product specialist 
uh, in lettings, particularly for, for Masham. And we were talking to Paul about rent arrears, obviously. We've been hearing an awful lot about rent arrears in the news because cost of living crisis is going up and up and up. We know that. Is that something that you're actually uh, hearing reflected in the conversations that you have with landlords? Yeah, all the time. I think a lot of landlords are really wary with all the legislation changes. Um, there's a lot going on at the moment in, in landlording, in, in life and everything. Um, mm. So it's something that landlords want to talk about more and more. I think especially with Section 21 soon to be abolished, um, a lot of landlords are looking to sort of educate themselves more, get more insurances, get themselves protected and, and have a chat. So, yeah. Okay. What are you hearing are kind of the main causes of rent arrears from landlords? Well, the, the, the biggest one is the cost of living crisis mm -hmm. and also the mortgage rates rising as well. So with mortgage rates rising, rents are having to rise to sort of go alongside that because mm -hmm. landlords need to still make profit on their investments. Um, but then you've got the cost of living crisis with rent going up, bills going up, everything going up, but people's wages aren't. So mm. that's the biggest thing that I'm finding at the moment. Okay, so is that something that landlords can actually protect themselves against in, in some measure? Or are you finding that lots of landlords are actually saying, do you know what, I, I'm just going to try and get out of this as quickly as possible? Yeah, both. So I'm finding, I do speak with loads of landlords that are just sort of packing up shop and leaving the landlording sector altogether, which mm -hmm. is totally fair enough. There's a lot going on at the moment. Um, but for the ones that are staying, when they're putting properties on the market now, there are less properties. So the, the interest on most properties is going up tenfold. Mm -hmm. um, and the landlords that are looking to stay um, are also looking to invest in the right insurances at the start of their tenancy to make sure that they are protected mm -hmm. um, throughout. And that's I'd recommend that anyway. Okay, so what would you recommend that they do take? Of course, I'd recommend us at uh, Mashroom. So um, here, our 5% package that we do, our Let and Protect um, offers you rent guarantee insurance, home emergency insurance, and the most important one at the moment is your £25,000 of legal cover. So with um, Section 21 being abolished, the only option that landlords are going to have to evict now is a Section 8. Mm -hmm. um, the main difference between the two is that Section 8 is breach of tenancy and it's also contestable, mm -hmm. meaning that you can go to, you're more likely to probably go to court with it. So that's going to cost you um, and will protect you. So yeah, come and chat with us at Lettings if you need a hand. Great stuff. Emmy, always good to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Finally, now really isn't a great time to be making basic errors that could be costing you thousands. So let's run through some of the most common insurance errors. Number one, incorrect information declaration. Yes, absolutely. This is the classic case. It's at point of inception when you actually enter your quote details with your broker or online agent. You've got to make sure that the information that you provide is accurate mm -hmm. and correct. Okay. And if you don't, it causes bother. It can do, depending on what information is incorrect. It could be, for example, like a partial flat roof that's not been mentioned, or it could be down to any uh, financial adversity previously, or any claims that you might have had and that's not been disclosed. Let's move on to number two now. Number two, incorrect risk status. Yes, uh, this could be down to the fact of you may be living in the property yourself, as opposed to letting the property out. So it is rated on a different basis. So incorrect risk status. Okay, so what do we do about that then? You need to update the insurers exactly of what the current situation is and with what tenant you have in there and what their occupation is, 
and of course updating whenever the property is unoccupied. Let's move on then to uh, number three, peril not covered in the policy. Peril's a great word, isn't it? It is. Uh, sometimes you have mild peril, <laughs> Yeah. sometimes you have expensive peril. Exactly. Peril not covered in the policy. Peril not covered. Your policy is covered under insurance wordings of perils and uh, contingencies, or they're classed as, and this would be fire, theft, flood, storm, escape of water and such. There usually be 12 to 14 of them. Mm -hmm. Now the peril not being covered, the usual one, where it wouldn't be covered is if it was anything that happened gradually, like wear, tear or depreciation. Anything happened over a period of time as opposed to an instantaneous incident. Okay, so, and that's we've, we talked about wear and tear a fair amount over time, haven't we? But just let's be clear again, the difference between wear and tear and actual damage, you have to have kind of good evidence to show that, don't you? Absolutely, you'd need to have proof that the incident has occurred during that insurable period and it's down to that insurable peril. Mm -hmm. But wear and tear, and this would be across the board with insurance policies, would not be covered. Okay, now let's move on then to number four, underestimated total value. This would be down to the rebuild value of your buildings. Now, with regard to that, there's been a lot of change in the last 12 months due to building cost and materials increasing. So I'd always make sure that you have the correct rebuild value, insurable amount that you're paying your policy for. How do you find that out? It's always a tough one on there. There are certain websites like the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors where you can go on there with your room sizes and such and get an idea. A professional valuer, professional surveyor, they will give you the two prices, mm -hmm. the market value and the rebuild value. So number five then. Um, and the, the, the last one is occupied or not. Yes. <laughs> in between tenancies, that's going to happen in respect of this. But of course, if you think your property is going to be unoccupied for over a period of 30 days, let your insurer know. This would usually be the uh, period of time where they would want to be updated and you may have intentions to either sell the property or look into relet it. Mm -hmm. Let your insurer know so they can advise you on the terms and conditions that you would need to adhere to to make sure you have cover in place. Landlord's insurance or building's insurance policies are package policies and they have several sections of cover that are automatically included. And we're there to help you out and talk you through that. So I would always speak with a person as opposed to a clicking on a mouse. Right, okay. And so you can have a chat with somebody from Masham, for instance. You can indeed. You'll be able to talk people through it. You can indeed, absolutely. That's what we're there for. Great stuff. Excellent. Chris, always a pleasure having a chat. Thanks so, so much for coming in. Chris Potts from Masham. In this week's latest landlord news, we've got an update about the How to Rent Guide, the latest on the Renters' Reform Bill, and a look at how many landlords are at risk of rising interest rates. Let's start with the How to Rent Guide, which has been updated for a second time this year. Back in March, it was all around carbon monoxide alarms. This time, it's details of the new Housing Loss Prevention Service. Now, the Housing Loss Prevention Service replaces the Housing Possession Court Duty Service, which has been live since early August, and it helps tenants who are facing eviction or repossession with free legal advice on housing, debt, welfare benefits and all those kind of issues before court, as well as advice and representation on the day of their hearing. The previous service only offered on-the-day or emergency advice, so this is a level up for tenants. But Property Mark is voicing concerns, stating that there needs to be an equitable system in place for all parties. The guide is part of the prescribed information that landlords are legally obliged to provide 
on the start or renewal of a tenancy. So it is absolutely vital you read it yourself to make sure you also understand the updates. If you don't issue the guide to your tenants when they move in or renew, you lose the right to repossess using Section 21, no fault evictions. So make sure that you have the up-to-date version of the guide and that you're issuing it at the right time. In fact, we also highly recommend you send over the new version of the guide even if you're in the middle of a tenancy. You can find the updated version of the guide on the government's website. Now the renters' reform bill, which perhaps some landlords would rather see the back of, but Michael Gove MP has confirmed that the bill will in fact get a second reading in Parliament this autumn. Therefore, the bill is very likely to become law, despite criticism of proposals like the loss of Section 21. Mr Gove says that the overwhelming majority of landlords want a relationship with their tenants, where the tenants stay, pay the rent and looks after the property. But he does agree with the NRLA, the National Residential Landlords Association, that the new bill will make it more difficult for landlords renting to students. So it's possible that the proposals will be adapted before becoming law. So watch this space. Now, we've talked an awful lot about rising interest rates in the last few months, and new research shows there's actually a much higher proportion of landlords who own properties with a mortgage than had been previously thought. And that could leave a lot of rentals in jeopardy, as huge numbers of low fixed-rate mortgage deals come to an end and landlords face a big jump in their repayment costs. Octane Capital has revealed that around 78% of landlord portfolios have in fact got mortgage debt and in the East Midlands it rises as high as 97%. In the West Midlands, 89% and in Wales, 83%. Now, given the shock of suddenly facing much bigger mortgage costs, it's no wonder so many landlords are trying to leave the sector. And that is having a stark impact on tenants who are facing a much smaller pool of properties to draw on and therefore competitively higher rents. There are those concerned that without changes, the rental market could effectively face collapse. And in the week of the Conservative Party conference, a leading agent is calling for landlords to be given more tax incentives to continue to invest and not bail out of the sector. Dominic Agace, who's chief executive of Winkworth's estate agent, says the lack of supply is caused by increased intervention by the government and tax changes. We're hearing stories of families squeezing into smaller properties because that's all they can afford. We need people to be able to be where they need to live for work, in a place that's suitable for them, and for the government to take some quick action and reverse tax measures to encourage landlords. Now, by that, he means Section 24. That's the tax rule that means landlords have to pay tax on their gross rental income and can't take account of mortgage interest and arrangement fees. Would reintroducing that tax relief make much of a difference? Well, the base rate has risen 14 times over the last two years. Currently, it stands at 5.25%. And that has had a huge impact on those with variable or tracker mortgages. Jonathan Samuels, who's CEO of Octane Capital, said that such high levels of debt mean some landlords will continue to struggle to make the economics of their investment work during a sustained period of higher interest rates. As a result, they could see a higher number of landlords opting to exit the sector and putting their portfolio properties up for sale. Now, whether there's an appetite in government to listen to landlord lobbyists and push for changes to tax rules to benefit landlords, while at the same time shepherding through the scrapping of no-fault evictions to benefit tenants, remains to be seen. 
Well, that's it for this Mashroom Show, but there is, as always, plenty more to come between now and the end of the year, so be sure to join us again in a couple of weeks on the 22nd of October. Otherwise, we'll see you on the 22nd. <laughs>